Good morning. Um, we'll be in uh, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse uh, 12. If you don't have a Bible, if you would, raise your hand. We have some for you. We go through verse by verse, precept by precept, which uh, Heidi found a shirt online for me that says that. Calvary Chapel, verse by verse, precept by precept. And so as we continue through the book of Luke, we've been looking at um, the witnesses as Dr. Luke kind of lays them out of the man, fully man, fully God, of Jesus Christ and who he is. And you can look at it as um, a case at a point, but also we start to see so much of the character of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as he's... Um, beginning his ministry as those are starting to follow him and this morning we are going to see Jesus work miraculously in, in a, a mighty way in a leopard's life and the witness of this leopard so if you would let's pray for this morning dear God we thank you for your word we desire that you would just reveal your heart to us each today God that you would just meet every need, Father, in this room, that we would leave here um, just changed, changed by coming in contact with you, the living God, that we would know how much you love us, God, and, and how much you care for us, that um, who you are would just be so evident and real in our lives, God, that we would just leave affected by your word this morning. We just thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke um, chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says, And it happened when he was in a certain city, which we know that's Capernaum because the gospel of Mark, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, this account is actually in all three of the Gospels, and it's an amazing account. Um, we have in, in the book of Levi, in chapter 13, we have the longest known account of an ancient disease. Oh, the way to assess it is in Hebrew, in, in Leviticus 13, in the, in the rabbinical text. It's a whole text in the law about how to identify somebody that has leprosy and the procedure with it because the consequences of having leprosy was you're going to be cast out you were considered um, walking dead you were you were at that point they considered no cure and that you were dying and and it was especially in that time especially when this man being full of leper uh, uh, just a horrific sight. Um, today it's, it's called Hansen's. They find the little bacterium that grows and, and uh, breaks a person down, the bodies, the toes, the appendages, and it destroys the nervous system. And it, it's a brutal disease. Um, just brutal. And we see Jesus in this time and here's this whole Old Testament assessment of what would happen? You'd have to go through the go to the priest, go through this process to be considered a leopard. Then you'd be cast out, and that process this man had to have gone through. 
And I want to notice with that in, in, this, in verse 12 says, a man. We can slow down sometimes and you read these and you forget it's a man. Who, who knows if he had kids, if he was somebody's son, what relationships he had. And so at some point this man went to the priest and was declared a leper and at that point cast out. No longer touched by anyone, could never be in a walled city, would have to tear his own clothes to be identified. His clothes would be ripped for two things. He was mourning his own death and nobody else would want to use. If you saw ripped clothes, you did not pick them up because they were worried of the disease that would go with it. He would have to be calling out unclean when he was within 100 feet of anybody. Unclean, unclean. Many times, the Jewish people would throw stones at them, which would just make the situation worse when you have no feeling and cuts and the like. And as I was looking this up, it, it, it's, it's, it's just brutal. I mean, I, I, I literally lost slept after looking online. Don't do a Google search. It's scary. When it means full of leprosy, and, and, and Luke uses that medical term. It's a medical term for what type. Now, they use leprosy for a couple things. It could have been cancer back in the day, but this term is for a person at the end stages of leprosy. And in the Bible, we have kind of like uh, nine known leopards kind of in the Old Testament. There's, there's Moses was actually had his handful of leprosy at one point, pulled it out, and God showed him. He put it back in. It was clean. But we have Moses' sister had leprosy when, when she was against Moses and going against God. Uh, Miriam ended up struck with leprosy. Now, the servant, when, when Na uh, Naaman was healed... Right? There, yeah, Elisha's servant went out and got money from him and stuff, and then his ended up cursed with leprosy because he was doing something shady and wrong before God. And then one of the leaders of, of Israel went into the Holy of Holies, went into God's place, and ended up, Uzziah ended up struck with leprosy. The people, the Hebrew mind, when they looked at leprosy, it was the finger of God. It was the punishment from God, in their opinion. They very much, when you look at it, all the Old Testament laws and dietary things, it was for their health. We, we learn, okay, they didn't have bacon, I mean pork, because all the worms and stuff, and they didn't have a way to take care of it. So the Hebrew mind, when they saw sickness and illness, they related it right away to sin. Somebody must have sinned. And you can think of this man, how many years would he sit and wonder what he did, what actions he took, what did he do against God to cause this? To cause him to be cast out and put through this just in horrible pain. You know, in, in full stage, it, leprosy, when it's in full form, it, you think about when you're cold. What, what part of your appendages get cold? You know, your, your fingertips get cold in the weather and your nose and all that. That's, it would go to the coolest parts of the body and that's where it began to eat your flesh. If you've ever seen anything like The Walking Dead or anything, it's scary because the pictures online, they're real. People without limbs, fingers, toes, they're many times blind. It's actually amazing with this man full of leprosy that he could see at all to see Jesus. And, and totally destructive. They would have to wrap their feet in their hands because they would injure themselves and not know it. And... They would wrap them so that the, the rats and, and animals would not gnaw on them while they slept 
because they would have open wounds that were bad. In middle stage of leprosy, when you look in, in rabbinical text and, and, and in times of the Greeks, when they considered you in the middle stage before this, you could smell the pe- person 100 feet away, the rotting flesh. They talk about, wow, man, this is, this is just brutal. I know this is a uh, you know, very um, happy Bible study this morning, but you look at it. That's, that's a condition, you know. That, that's where they're at, open sores, and, and this person's in that condition. And you notice, he hears of Jesus. He hears of the Christ, the Savior. He hears of Jesus, and when he sees him, when he gets there, and, and you don't know if the crowd's splitting in front of him, he falls down on his face. He's broken, physically broken, mentally um, even looking at the cases, even 1700, you know, 1700s of, of people in leprosy, before the stage, most of them committed suicide. It was too painful just to live. And he is totally broken, and here he sits there and says, Lord, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Not heal me, but make me clean. Two very different words. He is looking at his condition and he realizes or in his, his thoughts is this is sin, man. I could, you know, I don't need to necessarily be healed, restored. I need sin, this this issue in that sense is his thought process as he's there. You think of how many times he's can't can't go into Walled City, can't get new to Jerusalem, can't not be touched by anyone. Even of their own kind they would stay a distance as not to cause it more even in, in colonies to lose his home to lose his family to lose all that he has been rejected and feels completely rejected by God and he asks God not if he can but if he is willing if he is willing you talk about faith even at this point there, there's no, no people in the law in Israel calling him Lord but this guy's calling him Lord and so as he's there he asked, are you willing? And there's only one account of this, which I'm, I'm sure if you have, you have an illness, you start to find out, you try to find out everything you can about it, right? You're going to study. And there's one account in the Old Testament. And we have um, a king of Israel, and there's an army against them. They're, they're not friends, they're not at war, but they're not friends, and the, the, the leader of this country sends his main general, Naaman, has leprosy. And so he loves this man, so he sends a letter off to the king of Israel and says, man, I know your God's real. Can you heal this man? And, and in and King, 2 Kings chapter 5, there's that account, and the king's response to getting this letter, he says, as soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe saying, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send me, send this one to me to be cured of leprosy? See, now he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. He's going, this is impossible. This guy sent this guy over here to come up with a reason so we can go to war. Who does he think I am? I'm God? He considers him dead. I can't bring the dead back to life. This guy's already gone. And so when you see this, 
And you see this response, and we know in the scripture as it goes on, Elisha hears about it, prays for him, he goes, dips in the river, he obeys, and God heals him of his leprosy and restores them. And the interesting thing, he's not a Jew, so he didn't go to the temple and do the ritual after, which is in Leviticus 14, by the way. There's a whole ritual for when somebody's healed of leprosy. And we'll see why. But you see this, this man comes and says, hey, if you're willing, I know you're of God. If you're willing, not if you know, you're possible or anything else. It's, it's not a, 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 a it's, it's a heart. Do you care enough? It's, it's the heart, God. Do you, do you want to heal me from this? Not can you? And we have this beautiful, beautiful, just beautiful here. In verse 13 it says, Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, Jesus, as he's saying, he's saying, be cleansed and touches this man. Jesus touches him. You talk about all the years nobody even get near this guy. If he got close, they'd throw stones at him. And Jesus says, be cleansed. And it says, as he's saying it is in the Greek, he's moving his hand and touches him and he's cleansed of leprosy. He says, I am willing and touches him. Now, some would argue, oh, Jesus broke the rabbinical law. You weren't supposed to be around this guy, touch him or anything else. Jesus kept all the law. And if you want to bring a case against him, find the leopard. He's healed. He's not a leopard anymore. You know, he's cleansed. And if I was, um, you know, if, if we wanted to get all your emotions going here, I'd jump up and down and just repeat, be cleansed. He is willing. Get you guys all riled up and emotional about how God's going to heal you. Be, you know, he wants to touch you, you know. Be cleansed in the name of Jesus. Repeat that ten times and get Tony to say an amen and get all excited. But God really wants more than just an excitement and a feeling because it's his word. He wants us to go deep. He wants to touch us in our hearts. And many times our feelings are fleeting. I don't know about you. I get, you know, I get some feelings that just can't be trusted about ice cream or whatever, you know. They, they're not something I want to rely on. I don't base my relationship on Christ, but you look at this, and can you imagine what this meant for Jesus to reach out and touch him? To show him, not, not just to heal him, but to touch him and be cleansed. Can you imagine what that scene looked like? Everybody watching. This man coming through this crowd that, that, is, that is yelling, I'm probably keep away from him, but everybody wondering what's going to happen. What's going to happen? The, the silence that would be there when this guy asked that. How does Jesus respond? He, he didn't have to touch him. How many times? He didn't even have to be in the neighborhood. You know, people came to him, hey, this, you know, my, it's dead and this and this. We'll go and he'll be healed. He'll be fine. By the time you get back, he'll be good. He didn't even have to get in the perimeter of people to be people, be changed, brought back to life. But Jesus chooses to touch him. Talk about seeing his heart and, and the willingness and the loving of that this man is man totally broken there is nothing that anybody I mean he's undone there is you know if you there's I don't know of a more lower place than where this man was at more broken place and God totally the savior cleanses him and touches him and it's not like in a couple days the leprosy left and came back I mean this guy's missing a nose missing fingers and totally restored. Could you imagine what that looks like? 
pop, 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 and you get your fingers back, your face. I mean, that, that had been pretty awesome to see. I, you know, you look at the account, and it's just that, and immediately the leprosy left him. You know, kind of a little disappointed in Luke. It's like, come on, doctor, give us some more explanation. But I guess that's a full explanation in a sense. Look with me at verse 14, and it says, And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to a priest and make the offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses had commanded. Don't tell anybody. I mean, you were sitting there, you're, I mean, I, I get a kick out of Jesus. You know, he did this several times. You get a blind man healed, right? And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. What are you supposed to do? Walk away with your stick still pretending? I mean, you can see, it's like, don't tell anybody. Hi, how's it going? Well, yeah, I can see, no big deal. Don't tell anybody. This guy was a leopard, he's cleans, you know. But it was to be a testimony to the priests. Here Jesus is working, he's doing these miracles. And many times we see the priests just totally miss it, miss the Messiah. In the end, be part and hand in putting him to death. But we see Christ's heart for each and every one of those. You think of all the priests sitting there, and they've gone through the book. How many times do you think they opened Leviticus 13 and went through it and had to tell somebody, yeah, you have leprosy. But there's Leviticus 14, not open for over 2,000 years, sitting there. Why is it even there? Right? What's this book? Why don't we bother it? Why don't we do this ceremony? Why, won't, why isn't this ever done? You know, and, and the ceremony, as you go through it, the priests were the only ones that had some of the same aspects of the ceremony. What they would do is they would take two doves and, and one would be sacrificed in living water and that blood would be dripped on the other with, with a cedar and hyssop and scarlet and all these things representing Christ. And that would be made and then he would go and be in seclusion for seven days and on the eighth day he'd return and they would sacrifice a lamb and they would take some oil and they'd, they'd do their ceremony and they would mark his earlobes and his thumbs and his toes, just like a priest, meaning, hey, everything from here moving forward, you're anointed of God and you are to be walking in the way of God. You need to hear the way of God in your hands or everything should be done as a Levi priest for God. And so you have this whole thing there and the same thing as a priest and as a testimony. Can you imagine the priest as this guy comes? And, and, and they go through this ritual, and at the end of it, they would, they would shave him totally down. All the hair would go, part of it. He would be shaved like a new baby, kind of born again in a sense, if you would. And it's a testimony to them. God says, hey, this, this is, I don't want you to tell anybody, but to the priests, they're going to know this. They're going to know the Messiah is here. They're going to know the one who's over life and death, Right? Okay, this guy was considered death. But what else did they consider it? Leprosy? They related it to sin. Somebody can get rid of leprosy in their mind and somehow can get rid of the sin. Right? And however, verse 15, it says, However, the report went out concerning him to all, to all the more, and great multitudes came together hearing it to be healed by him of their infirmities. Mark rats him out. We know this report wasn't coming from priests or anything else. Mark in the gospel, Mark rats him out and says, no, the leopard went around telling everybody and praising God. So without the gospel and Mark, we would have known, not known that he was the, the culprit and didn't listen all the way there. 
but it's amazing to see. He, he, he rats him out and, and it goes out. And this, this message goes out. And it, here again, we kind of have another little slight glimpse in the middle of this of Jesus, this large crowd coming. And so what does Jesus do in verse six, 16? So he himself offered, as he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So the crowd comes abandoned and we see Jesus taking time, praying, being in the presence of God, refreshing, getting direction. You know, as much as we need to be in the word every day, daily devotions, morning or night, seeking God, letting God examine our hearts, praying, being in his presence. Definitely not just here listening to me on Sunday. That's not going to help you that much. Go meet with God every, every day, the great counselor. I'm not a great counselor. He is a great counselor. He is a healer. And so we see Jesus doing that. And it's interesting, um, as you look at this account, we don't know the finger of God's judgment at all, but we do know God's touch of love in our life. If you're here and you're a believer, you've seen God touch and change your life and work in your heart. And if your heart isn't changed and you claim that, yes, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus Christ, and it hasn't affected your life, something's wrong with you. Be honest, something's wrong with that relationship. You need to get on your knees, you need to cry out and fall on your face. If I came in here and told you, yeah, earlier this morning I got hit by a semi-truck at 18-wheeler, drove me down past Johnny's, and you look at me and I'm sitting here and you're like, okay, so where's the scars, where's the... Where's the ambulance and you're standing here, Tim? I know you're thick-headed, but you should have a limp. If you come in to the presence of the living God and he's going to change your life, it's going to leave a mark on your life. You're going to have scars. You're going to have Peter built on your side, or in this case, Jesus Christ. It should affect you. And so we see this. We see this awesome touch of God. And he didn't know Jesus was going to be the Messiah. He didn't know he was going to the cross in that sense, but yet he was willing to come to me. Hey, if you're willing to make me clean. You know, you talk about faith, right? Did he have enough faith? Did he say, God, make me clean? I know you can do No, he asked. It wasn't a ton of faith. Just if you're willing. I'm not sure you're willing, but are you willing? Yes, he's willing. In 2 Peter in 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not lax concerning his promises, as some account lacks slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering. His is willing that all should not perish, that we all should come to repentance. So is God willing? Yes. Is God willing to deal with sin? Yes. By the way, he went to a cross to pay for it. I think he's quite willing. But we can sit here and we can look at things and we go, man, with this disease, why was this guy struck with it? Well, we all fell. You could say leprosy and all disease is sin because we're in a fallen state this world is from the garden. If you looked at the first Adam who sinned, sin came in the world, destruction, death, disease, all these things came through the first Adam. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, He's the cure for death, disease, and destruction. But why doesn't he hold off and judge? Why does he allow this evil to continue? Why does he allow disease? And when you see, you know, little babies dying of things, and people go, how could your good God allow this? Here's your answer. Because he's patient, and he's loving, and he wants none of us to perish. He's going to hold off until the time is right, and then guess what? He's coming back, and he's going to deal with all the disease 
and all the death and all those things. And he's going to lay them all aside and he'll be gone forever. But for now, he's holding off. Why? So that we will have a free choice. That those who are lost, those who are hurting, those who are in darkness will be able to not perish. But will be able to repent, begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you think of... um, Sometimes you just think of things and, and you, you realize you've blown it. I don't know. I know none of you guys, but me, I've blown it. I've blown it enough where I feel like this leopard going, man, God, how can you use me? I've, I've totally destroyed this situation. I've made a, a wreck of it, and it's horrible. And you think, what can I do? And this is encouraging to me. Because God just steps back in and goes, just return to me. Just throw yourself on your, you're willing. God, Lord, forgive me. And he goes, I'm willing. I have, I'm done. And I had a teacher tell me, you go, you know, you pray for God and ask, dear God, have you, please forgive me. He goes, he did. It's a past tense. I already forgave you. You know, it's amazing to see. And we kind of see what happens the the, the result of this testimony of this leopard healed in verse 17, it says, And now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law sitting by and who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. So suddenly you have this guy out in the region of Galilee, Capernaum, um, kind of making his home probably more at Simon Peter's house. It's probably where this happened. And who's coming out to see him? Not just the local synagogue people. Now you have the Jewish leaders. You have the men who copied the law verse by verse, wrote it down every jot and tittle, and knew it well. Man, if you want to know your Bible well, how about you copy it by hand? Do you think you would have it down? I mean, how much more would you know if you hand copied, you know? I had teachers that made us do that, so that way it wasn't that you could ever read my writing, but you internalized it. You learned it that way, you know? And so these men knew the law. They came from Jerusalem. Here they're in this town, this region they normally wouldn't have gone to, to hear the person of Jesus. And as he's sitting there in this and he's teaching, behold, some Bold men. Bold men. I like bold men. Sometimes it's hard to be bold, but they're friends of a paralytic. And and you think of this too, okay? That wasn't a good situation in the day either. Leprosy's bad, but being a paralytic, they didn't have paved roads, they didn't have carpeted houses, they didn't have sewage systems, the streets were dirty. We know about foot washing and that being the lowly servant. What happens if you can't get off the ground? It's not somewhere you want to spend your time in this culture in this time. And it would be dirty, but yet this man has friends. What a cool thing. In spite of them, they didn't leave him because, oh, you're paralyzed. Maybe something changed. Maybe it's from birth. You know, but he has friends and they're willing and they're bold, you know. And so they're trying to get him in to this house where Jesus is. And it's packed and the crowd's packed and there's no getting in there. Verse 19 says, and when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd... They went up to the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. 
Now, being a roofer, I am all over this. I'm like, okay, they cut through a roof. What do you mean tiling? What's the Greek word tiling? I want to see, does it like roof tile? Did they actually have tile? And so I started looking. And in Rome, they did have tiling. They had like a clay pan and a clay cap. So they could have done that, which would have been hard to walk on without framing. I mean, I'm looking at the framing going four men on a roof. That's not digging through. That's falling through. But, you know, so I was looking at this. But... It also, that term means clay, and Mark gives us a little more term. The word is like dig. So what they'd have is they'd have flat top roofs, and they'd have some large beams and some smaller branches and smaller branches on that, and then they would stuff some moss or leave debris in there, and then they would lay clay on it. And they would put up like a mud surface to seal the roof on it, and they would be a flat top roof. And many times there's, there's areas you could walk in Jerusalem, it said you could walk through the city on the roofs. They were so close and flat. So who knows if there were stairwells up or whatever, but they're there, and they bring him up to the roof. And you talk about a distraction during service, right? Could you imagine you're sitting there, and there's guys digging a hole in the roof above you, and some dirt starts to fall, and then a little light, you know what I mean? It's like, and I mean, were they trying to guess, okay, Jesus is in this part of the house? I mean, poke a hole and look, he's over there. Okay, we've got to dig there. I mean, these guys are cutting this guy's roof up, you know. And they're there. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows why they're coming, right? So they dig through, and in verse 7, and when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven you. So you got these guys, you got this crowd, they finally get on the roof, they finally dig through, probably didn't get that big of a hole, they tie him up on the, his blanket, and there's, Mark tells us there's four of them, which is good when you're lowering a blanket. You know, you get this guy down there, and you're like, yes, Jesus is going to heal him, so we don't have to pull him back up. And Jesus responds with, your sins are forgiven. That's nice, but Jesus, he's a paralytic here. Can you heal him so he can walk out of here? I mean, sins are awesome, but Jesus knows what he's doing. What's amazing is, here you have the scribes and the Pharisees there. Why are they there? Because the testimony of this leopard. Who what? Who healed this guy who was dead, brought this guy back from death. A painful death. Judgment of God in their mind. And when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven of you, they start to about have a heart attack. In verse 21, we have this account that says, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And actually, they're 100% right. At least they're doing their job, right? If you're a leader, spiritual leader of a nation, and somebody's out teaching something, good, they're going and checking them out. Don't, don't fault them for that, but they're sitting there, and in their mind, they're thinking, no, this is blasphemy. Who can do this but God alone? The one fact they missed was what? He's God. You're right. You answer your own question. And if this doesn't get you, you know, the my wife has done this sometimes. I don't know if it's a gift to the Holy Spirit, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, you know, you ever have that? You're, you're thinking something, you don't say it, and somebody corrects you? I mean, Jesus did this a lot of times with the disciples. They're walking along, and he just starts correcting what they're thinking without even... It's not like they said anything. You know what I mean? Jesus is sitting there, and maybe they just kind of look at each other and start to murmur, and Jesus just... Pew. You know, Heidi does that with me, and I'm not going to use any examples. We'll keep that private. But he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power 
on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up and walk, take your bed and go to your own house. And verse 25, and immediately he arose up from them. He took up what he had had been laying on and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. Now, I don't know about you. If, if you haven't walked in a while, I don't know, you sleep funny or something, you get up and you have a dead leg, the last thing you want to do is push through a crowd. This guy sure didn't have a problem, right? You get lowered down, now you're in the middle of a room with a crowd, and what you're told to do, grab your stuff and head out. So he's, you know, my legs are healed, and I'm pushing my way back out of this, you know, so you can hear, who's this guy coming out? Where did he come from? Well, they put him in the roof. He just got healed, and he's praising God and pushing through the crowd on his way out, you know. But why does God do it? Hey, I can forgive sins. This is the point. There isn't just remission of sins. This is shocking to them. All the Jewish people knew was a covering of sin. We can have the blood, these sacrifices, to cover sin, to make atonement, but not the forgiveness. Not that it's ever going to go totally away. I don't know about you guys, I love the fact that God forgets my sin, that it's gone. It's hard to slow down and remember that sometimes, because I like to beat myself up with it. So I'll continue to beat myself up with it and make him a liar in some areas. You know, some of the hardest thing is, well, did God forgive you? Yeah, so why are you still dwelling on it and acting like it? Because we're guilty, we know we're guilty. Well, guilt's good, so you don't do something again. It's like burning your hand on a fire. It hurts, good. Don't do it again, but accept the forgiveness. You know, it's like, okay, so if you burn your hand on a fire and you're sitting there and you have a scar and everything, God heals you where you don't see it, don't go touch the fire again. But at the same time, don't sit there and mourn that you got burnt. He healed you. And so he immediately gets up and he goes, and they're all amazed. And they glorify God, but yet they're filled, filled with fear. And they have saying, we've seen strange things or paradoxes. They, they, are just, they, they are having a hard time comprehending what they just saw. They're having a hard time comprehending, not the man healed. Jesus has been healing all kinds of people. But comprehending that. The Messiah is here, that, that sin is forgiven. You talk about that testimony. I mean, we say it all the time, the forgiveness of sin. We, yeah, forgiveness. You know, we know there's scripture, there's a scripture in the Bible that says God forgets our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's a good thing you didn't say from the north and the south. Maybe you knew the earth was round, I don't know. But um, little things I like to grab onto in high school when you look at scripture and want to talk to somebody about it. But he forgets it. You'll never, you never, if you go around, think about it. You never get to east. If you go north, at some point you're going to go south. God forgets our sin as far as the east is from the west. He's done with it. And it pushes way off. And Mark seems to have more of a count of what happened with the roof, so you guys know, because I'm a roofer. I'm really concerned about this. Mark has it most likely since Mark was Peter's companion. It might have been Peter's house. But the roof... I guess it's still open. It's a skylight. There's no healing for the roof that I see here. We just have to trust God with the hole in the roof. But we sit here and we look at this. We look at these two accounts of how God worked. And, and one thing I think of, okay, how has God touched me? Is there anything in my life where I think, hey, God, you, 
you're, you're okay with it, you're not going to touch it, or you can't touch me there. You know, the thought of, oh, well, you know, Paul had a thorn in the flesh, doesn't mean it was sin. God wants to deal with sin, and God knows the destruction of sin, and very much like a disease or a cancer, it spreads without you knowing it. You get used to it. You get used to the smell of it, but then suddenly it starts to isolate you from the people around you. It starts to destroy you. You become numb to it. Very much like leprosy and these things move, it becomes a harm. And it's a horrible thing to God. God does not like sin. If any one of your children in here had a disease you could cure, would you allow him or desire him to go on with it for any length of time? No, that would be all your heart would be to make your child better. You would do everything possible. What do you think God's heart to us is? It's not to condemn us. It's not, oh, I'm going to punish you for having this. It's, I want to deal with it. I have the answer. Let me. You know, I, th- I think of, at a point, can you think of anybody that you would treat or they would think of like this leopard where it would be totally disgusting, where you would think there's a sin that you would just not allow or you could not have God's grace in somebody. You know, there's, there's a lot of times you look at stuff and we all come from different backgrounds and things, but there, there are certain things. You know, if a man harms a child, and that's the PG version, if a man harms a child, do you think God can touch him and change that man? My first, I mean, like, God, that would be a hard one. As a believer... Could you be around that person, even if he's a new creation? God's worked in his life. Wow, that's just so horrible, Tim. That's kind of, man, that's far out there. God views your sin the same. God views my sin the same. It's horrible. It's destructive. It's disgusting. It smells. It's eating away at us. God if you are in something, if there's sin in our lives, I mean, we're going through the verse, this is it. And God's telling us, hey, cry out. If there's something in your life that you think nobody else knows about, it's time. God's telling you today, we need to cry out. We need to repent and be part of that. And then the other aspect is look at God. He's willing to touch who? A leopard. Guess what we're calling to be? Christ isn't walking among us. Oh no, he is in us, right? To live is Christ. To die is gain. We are to live as Christ. So guess what? Those leopards, those people that freak you out, that are full of sin, God's calling us to be loving and touch. Not to be in the world and make that excuse, oh yeah, I'm going to hang out. And No, to be a light in the world. Not to be running away from it. Not to get involved in it. To, but to be Christ to these people. You think of these friends. How many times growing up in certain churches, somebody ends up in a sin and the gossip goes around the church and there are no friends around. This paralyzed man had friends. Made all the difference. When you see a brother in sin, what's your response? Well, that's horrible. I don't, you know, I can't believe they... Do you go hunt them down and go, hey... I'm going to drag you to Christ on your blanket and we're going to have to dig through a roof, whatever it takes, bro. I'm going to walk with you through this. You're struggling with this addiction again. You're struggling with that again. You're, you're what? You're cheating on your wife, whatever. Man, you need to get right before God. I'll do whatever I can. Let's get you back in the presence of God. Here, let's open the word. Those are friends. 
Those are the people we need to be. That's who we see as our Savior, and that's who we're supposed to be like. First and foremost, to do that, guess what? You need to be cleansed. First, remove that beam from your eye so you can help your brother with his speck. You know why you need to remove the beam from your eye so you can help your brother with your speck? That way you have some experience to help him on how to deal with sin. Which means also being real about it. Going, no, I blew it, I messed up, and this is the only solution was getting in the Word of God. You know, as parents with your children, be real with them. It's the hardest thing to do is sit there and tell your child, you know what, Dad blew it. And when Dad blows it, I have to get on my knees and pray and ask God for forgiveness. I have to actually set things up so I can walk right. I've got to get back in the Word. I'm, I'm off track. And that's how you do it. That's reality. You know, I've, I've had friends and, and friends that have been raised in different churches and Nazarene churches, and they, you know, so many times you see, sadly, uh, people in ministry and their kids, and they go sideways because they see hypocrisy. And that shouldn't be. We should be open. We should be real. We should be real with those around us. We are all sinners saved by God's grace. We are all healed leopards. And our sin stinks. But guess what? He's touched us and he's healed us. And guess what? We get to be part of that in other people's lives. What an amazing thing to be part of. To get a seat there and go, you know what? I'm not going to sit here and mourn and cry about how I was a sinner, but I get to share that love with other people and God's people. And it doesn't matter who. Right? When you realize how disgusting you are and your sin is, and you have a real look at that, two things happen. Number one, you sit there and you're more amazed at how much God, I don't understand how God still loves me so much. It blows me away. The more I read the Bible, the more that light turns on, the more it's revealed on how much of a sinner I am. I'm shocked. I'm blown away and going, and God, you still love me? I can't comprehend that. I don't think there's going to be a day when we comprehend that. Most of heaven, we're going to be sitting there just in awe of who he is and how much he loves us, blown away, praising him. Because it's just beyond comprehension. But when you have a real look at who you are, is there anybody out there you're unwilling to share the gospel with? I'm better than, no, I'm just a horrible leopard sinner. You know, I've told people, you know, given the right circumstances, you give me enough power and enough this and this, I know my flesh, I could be Hitler. Most of us would be in here. If you get, how, how many people would be a good dictator in here without Christ? I mean, it doesn't take long to know where my flesh is about, and especially if it was totally unrestrained, you know? And obviously it's not in total submission, or maybe I'd have a million dollars or something, I don't know. There's a reason God holds things from me by his grace. But what an awesome thing to be part of, what an awesome thing to see how God's heart is. And to be able to know whatever you're dealing with and you sit here in your life and you think, okay, God, me and God have an agreement with this. I just don't bring it up. He doesn't bring it up. No. Just like that child, you're going to bring it up. You're going to be dealing with that cancer and sin. You know, I, I talk, I've shared the example before. You know, if there's a child standing in the middle of the street, you see your kid out there standing in the middle of the street, what aren't you going to do to get him in? Sin is dangerous. It's like standing in the middle of the street some point it's going to hit you it's going to hurt now if as a parent i go out there and go you know what i know you kind of been standing out here a while and you, you kind of like it out here and i'm just going to ignore the fact you're standing out here how was your day how was soccer practice doing you know what let me get you a lollipop let me bless you for standing no that'd be child abuse 
Somebody gives somebody a treat for standing, or little kids for standing in the middle of the street, they should go to jail. Why would God be any different in your life? Oh, Lord, that just doesn't seem I'm missing joy, I'm missing happiness, I'm missing peace here. And he goes, yeah, you're standing in the middle of the street, and I'm not an abusive parent. I don't want CPS after me. I mean, it's just not who God is. 